congratulations to the Nigerian Super Eagles. Congratulations to the elephants of Cote d'Ivoire. You guys are ready to battle it out for the 33rd final of the African Cup of Nations to be for the chance to be crowned uh, African champions at least for another 18 months. Um, welcome to another episode of the African Vivicide Podcast. My name is Meher Mizahi. I'm your host. Um, thank you all for the, the amount of love and support shown in the last episode, which was um, a preview of the semifinals. We're going to continue to recap and preview uh, these last two matches, actually, of this tournament. Um, so let's today recap the two matches that were played. I didn't like the fact that both semifinals were played on one day, actually. <coughs> I would have preferred if we played one on Tuesday and the other one on Wednesday, um, or one on Wednesday and the other one on Thursday. Anywho, um, we're going to start with the first match of the day, Nigeria versus South Africa. We were expecting Nigeria to line up with their 5-2-3 formation and South Africa to line up in their 4-3-3 formation, right? There was a wrench thrown into all of that right from the get-go. South Africa mimic Nigeria, and they line up with a back five. They bring in Sienda Zulu in for Tapelo Morena. Tapelo Morena is playing more as a midfielder, and Zulu is more as center half. And all of a sudden, they mimic Nigeria. And for me, that's the ultimate sign of respect, first of all. That means that you guys are doing something that can potentially trouble us, and we need to find a way to counter that. And so for South Africa to, to show up with a 5-2-3... Initially, I didn't love it because I, part of me thinks if you are 100% confident in what you can do, the other team should adapt to you. It shouldn't be vice versa. Uh, but overall, over the grand scheme of things, over the 120 minutes that were played, I do think this was the right move by Hugo Bruce. I thought South Africa played much better than Nigeria overall. <clears throat> Nigeria didn't make a change except for one personnel change. They brought in Bright Osai Samuel. Uh, he replaces Zaidu Senusi. So Osai is a right back, Senusi is a left back. So they moved Ola Aina over to left back, which he's done, you know, admirably in the past, and that's not a problem for him. But otherwise, they kept the same shape and similar tactics. Anyways, um, the game kicks off, and immediately, you know, we already talked about it. They throw Semi Jai up there, they play a long ball. Osimen latches onto it in the first like 30 seconds. He's already causing trouble. But the, the ball hits him in the abdomen and he goes down and you're thinking, uh-oh. Because remember, Victor Osimen uh, didn't initially travel with the team because he was feeling pain in his abdomen. So when he's doubled down, could barely breathe, you know, just a minute into the match, you're thinking, this is not a good sign for South Africa. Oh, sorry, for Nigeria. This is not a good sign at all. So you were just hoping that he got the wind knocked out of him and that it wasn't you know, other complications with his abdomen. But that seemed to be the case because he finished, well, he didn't finish the game, but he played the vast majority of the rest of the match. But Nigeria did quick, did start off quickly in the first five minutes. Um, I thought they put South Africa under pressure. But then, it just, just it was just the first five minutes. For the rest of the first half, South Africa were by far the better side, in my opinion. Um, and what was interesting was that South Africa were creating better chances and the chances that they were creating were similar to the kinds of chances that Nigeria created. I counted five occasions, five occasions that South Africa created goal scoring opportunities in after winning the ball over. So just uh, Nigeria turns the ball over or South Africa wins the ball and they immediately play vertical and that creates a chance. 
Um, I think there was one in the 15th minute, one in the 24th minute, one in the uh, 26th minute, one in the um, 36th minute. Uh, I, I wrote them down in my notes. I'm looking at them right now. F at least five occasions where South Africa did that. Other times it was like Percy Tao, uh, you know, holding the ball, drawing Nigerian defenders, releasing, and just beautiful combination play. And sometimes, actually, even the long balls went into Percy Tao, which was, I thought, a little bit surprising. But Tao did a good job of, you know, dragging one of those three Nigerian center halves out of position, winning the ball surprisingly in an aerial duel, and threatening Nigeria that way. Um, yeah, so so I didn't think Nigeria offered much. I, I saw Nigeria try to counterattack, but I saw South Africa counter their counterattack. I saw them tracking back at the speed of light, making sure uh, that Nigeria doesn't hurt them that way. So the formation change, the personnel change, and the fact that I saw that South Africa had scouted Nigeria, that gave me a lot of confidence in Bafana Bafana. And at halftime, I tweeted, you know, is it too late to hop onto the uh, South African bandwagon? Because I picked Nigeria prior to this match. I thought they had a little too much attacking quality. Um, but after I saw South Africa play those first 45 minutes, I thought, wow, wow. This is like very, very impressive stuff. Um, even even speaking of like doing their homework, South Africa doing their homework. Even I remember there was an Ola Aina long throw. And Ola Aina, you know, for those of you that, you know, like do your scouting and, you know, all, all of the teams do their scouting. It's not like somebody, a YouTuber like me, that's going to say stuff that the coach doesn't see. They see everything that I see and 10 times more. They have a whole staff just dedicated to this. But Ola Aina doing a long throw, Ronan Williams anticipating it, coming out, grabbing it, you know, just shows you that they've done their homework and they really prepared for Nigeria. Anyways, second half starts, Nigeria look a little better. Um, South Africa don't look as impressive. And... The breakthrough comes in on a Victor Osman individual effort. He has the ball 40 yards away from goal and runs through three to four South African defenders. And eventually, I believe it's Mvala that comes through and takes him out. And Mvala, he's a very solid defender, very courageous defender. He's a good leader. But there is that thing where he does have the tendency to make big mistakes on the big occasions, right? And I'm thinking about here the, the CAF Champions League. Was it the semifinal against Widad Casablanca? Uh, was it last year? That was an own goal that eventually ruled out uh, Sundowns. So Mvala, I think he has that streak about him where, you know, he can he's susceptible to making big mistakes, even though I think he's a good player. Um, but nonetheless, he takes out Victor Osimhen and uh, William Trustekong steps up. By the way, William Trustekong had a absolutely spectacular game in my opinion um trying to think if i would consider him man of the match for this one he might be because the penalty is absolutely huge um but even if he's not man of the match he's definitely been probably a top five player in this tournament this amount of calmness it's not just what he does on the pitch because he's been great defending on the pitch but the amount of maturity and calmness and how he diffuses tension for the rest of his backline, for the rest of Nigerian Super Eagles, has been second to none. So, um, Trustekong steps up. <laughs> to be fair, he got a little bit of lucky with the penalty. Ronan Williams uh, chooses the correct side on a penalty again. So, he picked the right side five times out of five against um, who they beat in the prior round. It wasn't Morocco. Um, blanking. Uh, I'm blanking against Cape Verde, five out of five. 
even though he only saved four. And now the sixth time, sixth consecutive penalty, he chooses the right the right side, but Trus de Conk's penalty just goes right underneath his body. So little element of luck for Nigeria, but they're up 1-0 all of a sudden. And all of that comes down to Osimhen's individual effort. And that's why, you know, when there are matches like this, I picked Nigeria for this match. And my reasoning, my rationale was, you know, when you have two teams that are going to be 50-50, that are going to be, you know, battling it out and it's going to be a tight game, who has the world-class player? Who has the player that can, you know, pull out magic out of nothing and turn the match on its head? You know, think about the 2019 semifinal between Algeria and Nigeria and that last-second free kick that Riyad Mahrez uh, smashes into the goal. Think about how Victor Osimhen stepped up today. You know, Percy Tau is a great player. He's not a world-class player. He's not Riyad Mahrez, and he's not Victor Osimhen for sure. So that's why you know when you have matches like that, you tend to choose or select the team that has the world-class talent on their side. So Osimhen creates the goal, and and Nigeria are up. Um, <laughs> Nigeria score a second goal again. Not now because South Africa have to push men forward. So, okay, fair enough. You know, you're trailing 1-0. You're absolutely desperate for a goal. They're pushing men up. Nigeria counter them. Um, and they score a second goal. And this time it's Victor Osimhen that scores. Um, I believe it's Lukman that feeds Bright Osai, who cuts the ball into Osimhen and he scores. This time he's not offside. So you're thinking, oh my God, he finally got his second goal. <laughs> but sure enough, at the beginning of that action, when they launched the counter-attack. Um, not sure who it was, which the, who Nigerian defender. One of them caught Percy Tao on the back of the foot. Um, and we thought initially that he won the ball cleanly, but no, it was a penalty. It wasn't whistled by the referee. They let the action continue. Osimhen scores. And you're thinking, oh, Nigeria have scored a second goal. This match is over. And a minute later, the referee, the Libyan referee, Shinmani, is running over to the television, checking it. Penalty for South Africa, cancel Osimhen's goal. And you feel for Osimhen because how many times can a player score in a tournament and it keeps getting ruled off for offside or for a foul? You really feel bad for him because he's done everything really to, to deserve more goals, but it just hasn't come his way. Anyways, Thibaut Mukwena steps up. And just as calm and as assured as Troost was, Thibaut was. And I thought he did an even better job dispatching his penalty and drawing um, 1-1. As we were heading into, uh, you know, the final whistle, man, um, South Africa had a big, big, big occasion. Um, that's what was interesting to me, was seeing Nigeria having conceded a lot of goals in this tournament, but they conceded their second goal today against South Africa, and they conceded in the final five minutes. And instead of shutting things down and saying, okay, we conceded, let's get to extra time, they conceded one or two more very big goal-scoring opportunities. That's a, that's really um, a spot of concern for me coming out of this match for Nigeria is how could you guys, you know, a really well-coached team doesn't do that. And this time it was Mudao who dribbled, he centered, um, and then there was a free kick. Uh, Mokwena hits it beautifully, ball rebounds, and Mudao has the wide-open goal, gaping, just has to not put it over the bar, and he puts it over the bar. Um, the extra time was largely, um, I would say it was uneventful. 
just Grant Kakana got sent off in the fin- final five minutes. Tara Mofi came on for Victor Osimhen. Um, and some people didn't understand that move. It doesn't seem to me that Victor Osimhen is somebody that wants to take penalties. So I can understand getting a natural penalty kick taker like Tara Mofi onto the pitch. Um, and Mofi gets free. Um, and Grant Kakana comes charging back, makes a last ditch tackle. Didn't get the ball, got the player, but got him outside of the box. Is sent off, but he sacrificed himself for the team. That was a very, very intelligent play from Grant Kakana. Because if he doesn't do that, maybe Mofi scores. And there's only a few minutes left in the game. Your team can see out the rest of the game. You're going to miss the final. So he really sacrificed himself. Um, But I think it was the right move to make. So he gets penalties and um, Nigeria win. You know, penalties are a lottery say whatever you want about him but they are a lottery to a certain extent um and yeah nigeria i think deserve to go through south africa were the better side on the day but overall i think nigeria have been uh, one of the most consistent sides at this african cup of nations they're one of the sides that have a clear identity and they're one of the sides that have a world-class player so nigerian super eagles getting ready to try and capture their fourth african cup of nations title wow congratulations the second match of the day, I, I'll be completely honest, I didn't pay as much attention to. But we had talked in the preview about, you know, DR Congo uh, players being really affected by what was happening back home in eastern DR Congo uh, in the city of Goma. On the outskirts, there was a bombing and there were a few uh, civilians that were killed. Um, this is a conflict that's going on between DR Congo and a rebel group that many international organizations credibly accuse Rwanda of supporting and funding um, and so it's like a DRC Rwanda kind of thing but um, the fact that the players during the national anthem covered their mouth indicating that we're not talking about this uh, conflict enough what they call genocide um, and then doing this too like we're being killed in silence that was very powerful um, I can't even recall the last time we've seen something like that, you know, at a African Cup of Nations or at a real major tournament. Um, but it's using the power of football to point the attention to something that's even more important. I mean, those are that's those are the reasons why we love football. I don't think, you know, the Confederation of African Football loves moves like this. I don't think FIFA loves moves like this. I don't think the broadcasters like movements like this, you know, because, you know, it's... It, brings them into unfamiliar they, they like politicians they like states because they, they have money that they're going to give to um you know these governing bodies and they open doors up to them and they can come into all these different countries around the world they don't want to be in tensions and in conflicts and especially with somebody like paul kagami that has used sports as part of his you know um let's say like international diplomacy plan um so i don't think they loved it but for me somebody that you know loves football but loves it via you know the historic the political the social all these kinds of different elements that are um you know ingrained in the game i thought that was a an incredibly poignant moment the drc players also wore black armbands to commemorate the victims of goma but other than that um i think i mean if we get to the football both sides lined up exactly as we expected them to there was just the question for drc if they were going to start with Gal Kakuda or Teo Bongonda, um, they end up starting with Gal Kakuda, which for me 
Gakakura provides a range of passing that nobody else on DR Congo can. Um, he'll drop deep and he'll play through balls or balls over the top to players like Yoan Wisa or Cedric Bakambu. And he did it with great efficiency in the group stages. Um, but Theo Bangonda is much more of a dribbler and much more of a goal-scoring threat rather than a passing threat. Um, so they decided to start with Gael Kakuda, even though he might not have been fully fit. And he was hooked off at half for, for Theo Bangonda. But other than that, this was exactly how we expected both, both sides to line up. Remember, even Cote d'Ivoire, I was expecting, I was hoping, Adingra, Allaire, and Gradel. And that's exactly what they did. Gradel to neutralize Arthur Maswek, who runs forward, and he was very quiet today. And then Adingra and, Gra- and Allaire, because they're the best players on Cote d'Ivoire. Anyways, um, what a difference Adingra and Allaire make. That's, that was my main takeaway from the first half, was lots of good movement in the four that are behind Allaire. So you have Allaire as, at the point, as a point man. You had Adingra on the left. You had Fofana and Kessier as shuttling eights. And on the right, you had um, Max Gradel. And they, had, they were doing a great job of like varying their movement. So if uh, let's give an example. Let's say an Ivorian defender has the ball. They're looking to make an entry pass forward. Uh, so Evan Indica is trying to make a pass forward. Uh, let's say Kessier, the eight, is coming down. You would have Adingra making the run over the top, or vice versa. If Adingra is going down, maybe you'd have Kessier making the run over the top, you know, or Fofana doing that as well. So they were varying their movement, altering things. It, it was just very difficult, I think, for DR Congo to mark them. They weren't being static. Uh, and that's a credit to Emers because I don't remember Cote d'Ivoire having this much movement you know, in the attacking third um, throughout the group stages. So <laughs> he's in his first job as a 40-year-old. He uh, won, beat, eliminated the defending champions, eliminated Mali with 10 men, and now this match he had them really well coached up, selected the perfect starting 11, um, and yeah, it was great. M- most of Cote d'Ivoire's chances did come from crosses. I think we had a Wilfred single cross in the 18th minute to Adingra that went just wide. Um, the one good spell Congo had was between 20 and 35 minutes where they managed to procure one or two occasions. But other than that, I mean, from there until the end of the game, really, it was all Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, this 36th minute, we have the ball work its way from the left side of the pitch to the right side of the pitch. Simona Dingra cross and Sebastian Allaire. Um, he ends up like trying, like the Dingra's cross goes over and then it finds its way back to Allaire. The ball pops up. He tries a scissor kick. It didn't really work. Um, Single to Allaire in the 40th minute, but Allaire heads wide. This was a huge chance. I can't believe Allaire missed this. It was perfectly lined up. You would expect him to hit the target 9.5 out of 10 times and to score 9 out of 10 times. But, um, yeah, and then Frank Kessier hits the post in the 43rd minute. Like, I'm going through my notes, and I'm just showing you how much Ivorian, I want to say domination. Maybe domination is a little strong, but they really had the upper hand for... 80% 80% of this match, Cote d'Ivoire did. Um, and and the, the goal comes from another cross, and this time it's Max Alain Gradel who crosses it, and Sebastian Aller. <laughs> He's trying like a jumping volley, and he completely messes it up. He hits the ball into the ground, but, you know, just the ball hits the ground, bounces over the goalkeeper, and goes in. And it's one of those where you see that and you say, ah, Who's going who's gonna to be able to beat Cote d'Ivoire? When they have those kinds of bounces going their way, it's it's written in the stars, you know? And it reminded me of a, a chant <laughs> that the Ivorian supporters would sing um, in Abidjan. I think this was after the Mali match, and they would say, On vaut rien, mais on est qualifié. 
on va rien, mais on est qualifié, which translates as we absolutely suck, or we are literally, it's we are worth nothing, we, it, but it means we suck, but at least we're qualified, you know, or at least we advance. So um, they didn't suck today, but it was really one of those things where it's like, when you see those bounces going your way, you feel like there's something else, something intangible that's pushing Cote d'Ivoire into this final. Um, the explosion of joy after the goal was great to see, especially from the coach Amr Sfai. Really, really good. Um, and then I think, you know, he got his subs correct. And I don't, I'm not sure about um, DR Congo subs. Let me take a look. DR Congo made subs in the 70th minute. The goal came in the 65th minute, so five minutes after. Chibola, Mayele, and Silas. Silas, I would have liked to see him come a little bit earlier. Um, and then, yeah, I think Cotivar made good subs, bringing on Ibrahim Sangare, who was fresh. Remember, he didn't play against Mali. Um, bringing on the likes of Lazar Amani, uh, Jonathan Bamba. All of them provided really good energy in running up top. And yeah, it wasn't like a hugely eventful game. It was... There were a surprising, uh, there were an, a surprising lack of up and downs in that game. We kind of expected Cote d'Ivoire to win, and they just won, and there were no surprises. Um, overall, though, I think it's been a great tournament for both DR Congo and South Africa, and they're going to be battling out for the the third place match. I believe it should be on Friday. Is it Friday or Saturday? I believe it's on Friday. Um, but yeah, hats off to both of them. I don't think. Either of those nations expected to make it this far in the tournament before the tournament started. Um, I think there's a lot to build on for both sides. Um, South Africa have a little bit more of an aging core than than DRC do, but still there's a lot to build on. Um, and you just wonder, again, the next AFCON is 18 months away. Can you keep a, a group together? Can you build on this and mount a serious run in Morocco? Or can you at least build towards the World Cup, which is, by the way, uh, two months, two years and three months away. So two, two, mo- two years and four months away. So really, like, now is the time to start preparing. It's not like some far off, you know, distant future kind of thing. So yeah, credit to DRC and um, South Africa, but Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire. Um, if you take the knockout stages into consideration, probably the two sides that deserve to be in the final. So um, keep it locked in. We're going to be doing previews for both of those matches. And these are going to be the most extensive, the most in-depth previews um, that we've done on this channel and that I think you're going to find on the internet. I'm going to try to do 35 to 40 minutes for each of them. Uh, it's going to be very, very long. Uh, but bear bear with me. Thanks for listening to another episode. I'll speak to you guys uh, tomorrow and after tomorrow. Take care. Peace.